0: So if you've been with us, we've been going through the, a series in the book of Mark over the last few months, uh, the first part of the year, and then we took a break in the summer. And now we're kind of nearing the end. We're in Mark 14. We're getting into the, the Passion Week, the week of leading up to um, Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. So this chapter today that we're going to look at, Mark 14, it really it turns kind of towards the dark part of the story. This really describes the the, the, the part where all of Jesus' disciples and, and his closest friend abandon him, betray him, um, how there's a sham, uh, a sham trial, and he's, he's led, to the, led to the cross. And so Mark 14 is a tough chapter to read, but we're going to—I really feel called to focus on the first part of Mark 14 because in the middle of Passion Week, when, when everyone else was, was abandoning Jesus, there was one person— who truly honored him. There's one person that really uh, worshipped him for who he was. This is how Mark 14 opens. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So this sets the stage for what's going on. This is that dark turn of the story I was talking about. This is the point in the story where where the uh, the religious leaders turn their attention on how can we kill Jesus? He's become too much of a threat. He's become too much of a threat to our power. How can we uh, get rid of him? And they would turn to one of his closest allies, his friends, his disciples. Um, To make it happen Judas who we'll talk about here in a bit But we'll see that that uh, this story that we're going to focus on today is put in the middle of a betrayal So in the middle of a betrayal we see a beautiful act of love and they're, they're put together for a reason They're put together to contrast one another And betrayal cuts deep trail cuts deep. I remember at another ministry job I had at one point, I had someone uh, call me at, uh, call me um, uh, one night and tell me, hey, um, there's something going on behind the scenes, and and somebody's trying to angle for your job, and I was like, oh my goodness, my job? You want my job, really? (laughs) But no, I was, I, I was, I was shook. I was like, Really this person who I I thought, you know, I could trust I I started doubting like man What you know, what what's going on? Who can I listen to who can I trust? I was angry and you know I I I approached this person said nothing was going on. It was just awkward and uh, But but betrayal can cut really really deep. Maybe you've been in a place where you felt undercut or abused manipulated uh, in in a serious way Uh, Maybe it's a family member or an ex-spouse. Maybe you carry around scars from that experience. And Jesus, the perfect son of God, subjected himself to betrayal. Subjected himself to human betrayal. He allowed this group of prideful men to influence his own disciple and put him up for execution. And that's the story of Mark 14 this theme of betrayal throughout Mark 14. And everybody comes up short for Jesus on the way to the cross, even his closest disciples, even Peter. But in the middle of betrayal and abandonment, one person does right by Jesus. One person. One person truly serves him. One person truly honors him and and gives him the love that he deserves. And it's a woman named Mary. And she isn't called Mary here in this chapter. We know she's Mary because of the same story told in, in John 12. Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Um, <coughs> Mary is already known for her wisdom. There's already an encounter recorded with, with Jesus. You may remember this, where there's Mary and Martha, and Martha is, is busy in the kitchen, busy doing chores, busy taking care of all the errands, and Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus while he's there, to just kind of bask and, and listen and, and be close to Jesus. And we, can, we tell that story, and we can probably all relate to Martha, right? There's just so much to do. I'm so busy. I've got so much going on. And, we, and, and instead of uh, giving, you know, giving Jesus maybe our, the, the best part of our time, we give him the leftovers. But here we see Mary choose to give Jesus her best. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 10. He says to Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. See, Martha, and he says Martha, Martha, and that's a term of endearment. Jesus wasn't condemning Martha. He's saying, hey, sister, slow down a little bit. Like, just spend time with me. It's okay. Jesus wants to calm her heart, wants to slow her down a little bit to a point where she can just sit at Jesus' feet. And some of us may need to hear that again today, right? It's like, oh man, I I know I need to slow down and just spend time at Jesus' feet, but I got got a backlog of things that I'm thinking about. I've come in this morning with just a a bunch of stuff in my mind and my heart. And you might need to hear today, child of God, just sit down before your king. Just rest in his presence. And Jesus blesses Mary for her willingness to just put the work aside and just be at his feet. And for some of us, me included, it seems a little unfair. It's like, hey, but I'm doing the work, you know. I I got stuff to do. I'm trying to, you know, be responsible and take care of all of this. And Jesus is saying, yes, but... It's, 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 it's good to do what you need to do, but even more, even more, it's good to be in my presence. It's good to slow it down and just be in my presence. Sometimes when I think about my love for my family, my love for my community, I think of it in terms of responsibility. Like, I've got a responsibility I've got to I've got to provide I've got to keep the lights on I got to keep food in the fridge or I got to serve my community well right but there's a big difference between being responsible for my kids and being present in their lives so being responsible is love but then last week so my, my, my son, John, is favorite—he's he's the kid that's not here right now, so I can pick on him. My son, John's favorite food in the world are burritos. They're burritos. So um, last week, we had an afternoon, and I said, hey, buddy, let's go to Paso and get a burrito, right? We just sat at the table, had this massive—even the kids' burritos there are massive. That's why I love Mexican food, right? Just— <laughs> it's a beautiful thing and he loved it but we were just sitting and and talking you know it wasn't anything deep but it was just being present you know and, and there's this difference between understanding love as responsibility and understanding love as being present making time looking at somebody in the in the eyes because in 10 years what will my son remember I hope he remembers that burrito and how good it was. Burritos are love. That's what I'm trying to say today. Yes, amen. But what we're going to see in this story is we're going to see a tension between presence and responsibility when it comes to love. We have we have responsibility, but God desires our presence and our attention. And in the middle of this Passion Week, Mary's the only one who gets that. Mary's the only one who takes the time to just be present and enjoy Jesus, and 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 uh, show Him this deep kind of love. And so, this is a description for what we'll see today. Ad- amid a world of full of treachery, a beautiful display of love stands out. So, this world is broken; it's corrupt. Jesus experienced the brunt of that in Passion in Passion Week, but in the middle of that, in the middle of that darkness this beautiful display of love will stand out. When everyone else is failing Jesus, this one woman gets it. And we're going to go ahead and read in Mark 14. It says this, While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly, one another. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So that's, um, that, that's Mark 14. To paint the picture, Jesus and his disciples are staying just outside of Jerusalem in the town of Bethany. They're, they're at this house of Simon the leper, which is probably one of the lepers that Jesus healed. Sitting in the room is not just Mary and Martha, but their brother Lazarus, who days before Jesus had uh, rose from the dead. So there's a lot of powerful story in that room. Also in the room are Jesus's disciples. And in, in this very... And, and it says that Jesus is reclining at the table, which in, in, in that time in, in the Middle East, you would sit just right off the floor. The table would be just uh, close to the floor. So just kind of laying down. And in the middle of this relaxing time, engaging time, Mary decides to take this precious alabaster jar. It says um, a very expensive perfume, pure nard is what it is. And what it is is it's an oil called Spikenard, which is kind of a funny it'd be a great band name, wouldn't it? Spike nard. <laughs> or a dog name, you know. Um, but it's this oil called Spikenard. And what it is, it it I'm sure it I'm I'm sure it's uh it's more beautiful than, than how it sounds, because it doesn't sound that beautiful. But um what it is, it's a flower that's native to the Himalayas. And it's like an essential oil, right? If you if you're into essential oils at all, um, you know they distill it down into this really fragrant, um, you know, fragrant oil. And you, the Himalayas are 3,000 miles away from where they're sitting. So John tells us that Mary had about a pint of this oil, which was really, really precious. Um, probably about fifty or sixty thousand dollars. For this, you know, they didn't have Costco back then, right? So this stuff was hard to find. Um, And she just had this bottle of oil and uh, probably, you know, for savings. You put your money in in this kind of stuff for savings, to have some kind of financial security for the future. And yet Mary feels this love and adoration and worship just well up into her heart to the point where she's willing to break this security this alabaster jar and anoint Jesus' head and then we find out in John his feet. So she anoints Jesus' head and his feet with the oil. It says that she even wiped it with her hair. Like she just is adoring Jesus in this moment. It's the most precious asset she had. It's the one thing that she could give. And she poured it out on Jesus. And the line that struck me more than any other line is when Jesus says that she did what she could. She did what she could. Not meaning like, eh, she did what she could, but she did everything she could. The most precious thing in her house, she poured out on the head and the feet of Jesus. Now imagine that Jesus is sitting in your house today. Imagine we're in your house, or if you're online, you are sitting in your house So it's very easy for you to imagine this. But imagine Jesus is sitting into your house, and what are the precious things in your house, right? What would be a, I got this image. It's kind of a weird image, but go with me. It's like, you know, last year we we bought a TV, right? And imagine putting that TV in like this huge metal grinder (laughs) and just grinding it to a pulp and just pouring that on the feet of Jesus. Right? Imagine like what's precious in your house so it, I've seen at, at one job I had I got a chance to see these huge metal shredders You know just giant shredders You could shred a car in Right what, what if you shred your car and, and poured it out on the feet of Jesus Because of work it's, all, it's similar to what she did in a way But if Jesus showed up to your house What would you be willing to pour out What could you do What could you do? No matter how you look at it, this is an act of irresponsibility. Right? Crazy love. No matter how you look at it, like, this woman, by all, like, intents and purposes, did not make a wise financial decision. But she didn't care. And you know what? Jesus loved it. Jesus loved it. His disciples... They didn't like it so much. They were mad at her. They said this, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Like, how dare you worship in this way, in this extravagant way? It's irresponsible. It's stupid. Do you realize how much good this could have done? If if you just... Sold the money and went a different way with it. This is what they were thinking. And if you read John 12, Judas is the main guy who's having this conversation, who's rebuking the woman. But they're upset. They see it as wasteful. And they see themselves as rational, noble, practical, right? We could have done something way more practical than what just happened. What she did was beautiful, but very, very impractical. And if you think about how Jesus loves us, like, Jesus loves us very impractically. He had to go out of his way to love us, right? He, he was, he's in heaven, coming to earth, dying on a cross. Like, it was impractical for him <laughs> to, to leave his, his throne on high to come and, and be a man and die for us was impractical. And in response, you see that Jesus finds the sacrifice that we make, the sacrifice that Mary makes, as beautiful. And so here's the point today. Beautiful love calls us beyond the practical. It calls us beyond the practical. If we're going to have a beautiful love for Jesus, it won't fit into a practical box. It won't fit neatly into a weekly calendar. Um, One really simple illustration of practical versus impractical in love are the gift of flowers, which as a husband I'm learning about all the time. (laughs) But I used to see flowers as a very impractical gift. Like, yeah, you you spend 20 bucks on flowers, they sit on the table for two days, they die, right? They just start going brown, nobody wants them. But I didn't realize how, much, how meaningful that was for Bonnie. Like, she loves her flowers. And so I've been learning God is working on my heart to see the beauty of flowers. And not that it's, not, it's not a great investment, but it is beautiful, right? It does express love to just show up with flowers saying, hey, you're worth it, right? I, you know, I love you. It's just pouring out love. And The truth is we will be impractical for the things that we love Um, If you are a sports fan, you may know that today the Seahawks are in Munich, Germany And there are Seahawks fans from Seattle that flew 5,000 miles to go watch them play in Germany That is impractical in my opinion, but if you love the Seahawks Apparently it's okay, right? But the point is we will be impractical for the things that we really really love We will make impractical decisions for the things that we really, really love. You know, cathedrals, think about cathedrals. They're so impractical, ornate, beautiful. But they were these expressions of love to God, right? And they still are around today. You can go to Europe and walk through these thousand-year-old cathedrals, right? Built by artists who express over-the-top love for God. And I got really, really convicted thinking about how I love people in my life. Do I love people in my life practically or impractically, right? Man, it really hit me. It really hit me. Am I loving my friends practically or impractically, right? Am I loving my spouse practically or impractically? Am I loving my kids practically or impractically? And I feel like so many times I stop short. I just do what I should but not what i could does that make sense i do what i know i should do to be responsible but i don't go over the top i don't do what the extent of what i could do i just do what i should do that is acceptable and imagine how our lives and the lives of those we love might change if we're willing to go from should to could if we're willing to go from yeah i should do these things to no, I could do these things, and so I want to. I want to bless. I want to love. I want to express the lo- my love for you in these ways. And think about what that would look like in your relationship with Jesus if it moved away from shoulds to coulds. Like, yeah, I should show up on Sundays. Yeah, I should sign up for a home group. Yeah, I should do this too. I could do this. I could spend my time this way. I could give my money to this ministry. I could do all of these different things. It just changes the perspective completely. <laughs> from duty to love. Like, man, I love God, and I could do all these different things for Him. It's a much freer way to live for Him. If we move from shoulds to coulds. If we allow God to move us out of what's, re- what's comfortable and respectable, What's over the top In our love for him I'm always inspired by the story of David in the Old Testament When the Ark of the Covenant Is coming into the temple After years of being away And it's this parade of worship And David is is like Dancing like a madman in the streets You know, here's your king He's just going going crazy in the streets He didn't care about what kind of respect It would cost him in the eyes of his people Um, His wife Michael though who was sitting in the rooftop looking down kind of had her arms folded was kind of disgusted by what was going on like you call yourself a king there you are just dancing like a crazy person but you remember David's response he said yeah but I'll become even more undignified than this if I have to like he was over the top it wasn't just about what he should do it was about what he could do it wasn't about how, how should a king act. It's, it was about how could I praise God in this situation. And Mary had no problem being completely impractical to the point of wasting this insane gift on the head and feet of Jesus, pouring out that financial security um, on Jesus' head and on his feet. And of course, she's doing it as a response to the love that that Jesus has shown her, right? Raising her brother from the dead, right? Spending time with her. Um, you know, she, she's pouring it out in this response of love for all that Jesus had done for her and her family. And if you look at the disciples, in contrast, they're huffy about it, right? They're, they're rational. They're going to think it through. They're going to try to be practical and reasonable and responsible. And this isn't great stewardship, and I think I can relate to that a little bit, you know I like to consider myself a realist, you know And sometimes that, what I've realized is that realism can get into the way of my imagination And my faith Like God wants us to have big imaginations And big faith That he will do the things that he wants to do And he can do great and amazing things Right, and sometimes my realism tamps that down a little bit Lowers my expectations And so god's been teaching me to have a bigger imagination for what he can do Right, what could god do here? What could god call us to do here? We can believe big because we have a big god that we serve So in this moment Mary and jesus are rebuked by the realists like get real guys. What are you thinking? And how does jesus respond? He says leave her alone? Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. He says, The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. That's sort of like a, Hey, you're just now thinking about the poor kind of a comment. But you will not always have me. And then there's that line again. She did what she could. She poured out perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Jesus says, Back off, guys. Back off. This is true worship. What happened here will be passed down for generations and generations, right? She did something more significant now for me, preparing my body for burial. John says that it was intended, like this was, this was God's plan for her to, to do this. It was all part of God's plan. And so Jesus is saying, back off. This is beautiful love. This is beautiful love. And don't we want what we do to be called beautiful by God? Don't we? That What we pour out, don't we want it to be seen as beautiful by God? I know I do. And we see when this this woman pours out the best of what she had and the, the first of what she had, Jesus calls it beautiful. He doesn't see it as stupid or irresponsible. He doesn't see it as ridiculous. He sees it as beautiful. She did everything she could to show me honor. And if you're pouring out your life for Jesus, I want you to know this. If you're pouring out your life for Jesus, He sees it as beautiful, that He loves it. If you're living and thinking about what you could do instead of what you should do, that's beautiful love. If you're serving Him by loving others, Extravagantly by helping others who might not be able to help you back. Like that is beautiful love. If you're really caring for the poor without being asked, that's beautiful love. Jesus loves it. You're not wasting what He's given you. Recently, I was wrestling with the big decision, uh, the big decision to go back to school, and I sat down with a mentor um, who I'd known for 15 years. And I was like, man, I don't know about the time and the cost. I don't know about it. And he he looked at me and he said, Tyler, God will never waste what you give him. I was like, whew. It was what I needed to hear. Like, God will never waste what you give him, what you pour out. Whatever you give to God, he will make better. We're the ones, we're the ones who question, is this what I'm supposed to do? Like, is this, is this my calling? Is this sacrifice too much? We're the ones who question that, not Jesus. Jesus will not waste what we give him. If you feel compelled to give something big away, Jesus will never see that as a waste. It will be beautiful to him. And Scripture is clear, starting with Cain and Abel. God is not interested in our scraps. He wants our best. You know, even starting with Cain and Abel. Cain got in trouble for just making God an afterthought, right? Abel gave the best of his flock. Jesus loves it when we pour out the best of our time, treasure, and and talent on him. And so we have this moment in Mark 14 where right before Jesus is supposed to go to the cross and pour out his blood, this gift of oil is poured out on him, preparing his body for burial. This oil, again, funny name, spikenard, um, was, was royal. It was, it's actually been found in the tombs of Egyptian pharaohs. Um, it, it is a uh, symbolic oil of royalty. And so what this oil communicates is worthiness, that Jesus is worthy He's worthy. He's king. And so the message of the oil is this. You are worthy, my king. You are worthy. I'll give you my best because you're worthy of it. You're worthy of all I have to give, the richest of the oils. And Jesus says, because of this honor, she'll be talked about for generations. But at the root of it, it's about worthiness. Jesus' own disciples didn't realize in this moment, or they forgot, that Jesus was worthy of it all. Jesus was worthy of all they, had to, all they had to give, all their time, money, and energy. Jesus is worthy of our discomfort. Jesus is worthy when we go out of our way to, to share the truth about him with others. And we stand up for him to the point of losing friendships or credibility. Jesus is worthy. Heaven gets it. Heaven knows that Jesus is worthy. I just want to share this picture. This is a scene in heaven from Revelation 5. It says this Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I'm sure they could have just kept going. But this is, we're talking millions of angels surrounding the throne of of God, uh, declaring the worthiness of Jesus. And in our world, we live with our blinders on to his glory and his worthiness. And so in the middle of this, Mary gets a piece of it. She sees it, and she honors Jesus with all that she has. And so as we close up today, the question that I have, and it's really a challenge for all of us, is are, we, are you living like Jesus is worthy of everything? Are you living like Jesus is worthy of everything? What does your life point towards? Does your life point towards towards yourself? Or does your life point towards the worthiness of Christ? Like God, take it all. You're worthy of, of, of my money, my time, my attention, my mornings, my evenings. God, take it all. And somebody said, Life is war, and it is. Our life is a war the wor- to, to see God and pursue God, and to, and to see the world and pursue the things of the world. And we're going to be caught in that tension. We're going to be caught in that tension. I had it explained really well to me one time by my freshman basketball coach of all people Christian guy And he said it in a way that I could understand it He said you have two dogs living inside of you a flesh dog and a spirit dog And if you feed that flesh dog that flesh is is going to be glorified If you feed that spirit dog the spirit dog is going to be glorified And for my 15 year old brain that just stuck with me You know so I I was like okay I got to feed that spirit dog you know but that's, that's, uh, that was helpful for me uh, as a young man. When we worship Jesus, when we make him the thing, when we make him big, that spirit, our spirit grows inside of us. But when we get distracted and we fritter away our time on, on lesser things, the, the greatness of God becomes a lot smaller. And, and we make our lives and our moment and our time a whole lot bigger than what it is. And and the message of heaven that heaven wants us to know is that Jesus is worthy of it all And one day when we're with him, we will realize it fully Like, oh man, Jesus, you are worthy of all the sacrifice all the time All the love all everything that I've I poured out. You are worthy of it You are worthy of it And and jesus will not forget that He honored mary For what she did and if you, if, you think about, if you think about Mary today and Judas today, you see that one was honored and one was not. One honored Jesus and one betrayed him. And that's what we see. We see this beautiful moment declaring the worthiness of Jesus. And then you see immediate betrayal. In Mark 14.10, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this, and they promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So you see, Judas no longer found Jesus worthy. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Right? And I think about flashy things that, that pop up in our lives that we'd rather give our time and attention to. And it's sort of like G- uh, Judas, how, how he's like, you know what, I don't want to worship Jesus like that. I'm going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. One honors Jesus and, and does a beautiful thing for him. One betrays him and sends him to his death. So Jesus, in this week, uh, we have expressions of deep love and intimate betrayal. What I love about this story as we close, what I, what I love about this, this disparity between deep love and intimate betrayal is that Mary worshipped when nobody else got it, right? Not even those who are close to Jesus understood what was going on. But that didn't matter to her, right? It, these uh, The other people who were following Jesus thought she was ridiculous for what she was doing, but she, she didn't. And she just went on. And, and she poured it out without even asking or saying, is this a good idea? No, she felt compelled in her heart, so she did it. Right? And that's the freedom that Jesus wants us to have in our worship. That we wouldn't be concerned about what other people think or other people's opinions. The only opinion that matters is Christ's so this morning as we close and pray I want to pray that God would give us the heart of Mary the heart of Mary not the heart of Judas I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us with that kind of beautiful love and reorient our hearts from shoulds to coulds what could we do because what I want to be church is a community of beautiful worship beautiful love That that loves Jesus well And and loves each other well So let's pray Lord we come before you this morning And Lord I want to confess that I often Bring the scraps Lord I often bring the shoulds And Lord I pray God Along with with all of us, I pray that you would change our hearts to go from shoulds to coulds To go from what should we do or you know, just taking care of everything to what could we do? Lord, I pray that you would allow our hearts to dream big And maybe we've been in a time where we've we felt beat down where we felt under attack I just pray for freedom from the Holy Spirit this morning, Lord Lord, freedom, forgiveness, and grace to move forward, to be the free people of God, and to give freely as you gave freely. Lord, you gave your life to us. You poured your blood out on us when we were your enemies. When we were your enemies, you died for us. And Lord, help us to, help us to walk in that kind of love. Help us to even even meditate on that kind of love this week. What would it look like if we loved like Jesus? What would it look like if we loved our families like Jesus? If we loved our neighbors like Jesus? If we didn't live in duty but we lived in the freedom of what could we do? How could we bless? Lord, make us a people of blessing. Make us a people that bring flowers (laughs) to people's doors. Lord, Lord, that go out of our way to speak love. God, Lord, you are good. We believe in you. We know that, that you are at work, that your spirit is moving. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in the freedom of knowing you, that we would know this love that Mary knew. Lord, give us the heart that Mary had to be in your presence to be willing to put the responsibility aside to sit at your feet, to worship you, Lord, to pour out the best of what she had and to do what she could. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, we're going to close with a couple worship songs this morning. Uh, If you want prayer, feel free to come to the front. This is kind of our prayer corner over here. I'll be over there. Um, But man, it's good to be with you. Um, Let's continue to worship.